0: This is Psalms to God, Season 2, Episode 20, The Jerusalem Council. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. Acts, Chapter 15, Verse 2, CSB. It's your host, Ree. Welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. Today, we are discussing disagreements within the body. Now, before we jump into the discussion, I want to give a disclaimer that I do live in one of the neighborhoods where they've been shooting fireworks off nonstop. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I heard a couple of fireworks like five minutes ago. I don't know if they're going to continue to shoot them or not. So if you hear random popping sounds in the background that's what that is. I'm sorry. We're just going to have to go with it. But on to the meat of the conversation. I'm really excited about this episode because it's kind of foundational to where I want to go with the history of the church. And it's also probably affecting a lot of people right now um, in the sense that you know, there's a lot of tension right now. There's a lot going on between COVID-19, between People waking up to the injustices that are happening in our society. There's just a lot, a lot of emotions, a lot of stress, a lot of um, tension, and that's bound to spill out into our interactions with each other. Um, it's bound to reshape how our churches um, envision themselves, or at least it should, and that's bound to create disagreements. And we need to be aware. Of how to handle those disagreements. Now I know most people can quote the whole thing about you know, if your if your brother, you know, sins against you or offends you, you should go to him personally, and then if he doesn't listen to you, you should gather two or three and go back to him. And if he still doesn't listen to you, then you should bring him before the church, blah blah blah. Um, but it's so much more than that to see these things play out. And if you go through the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, you actually get to witness the church fathers or the church leaders disagreeing with each other and see how they handled it. And that's beautiful, it, it, I don't know, it just means so much more for me when I see it play out than to just read the text. Because it's easy to say things, it's a whole lot harder to actually do them and, and go through the motions of resolving an issue. And so Acts chapter 15 gives us two examples that I want to talk about. One is more of like a large scale issue and the other is like a personal one-on-one type of an issue. So we're going to talk about, we're actually going to talk about the one-on-one issue first and then we're going to talk about the large scale issue. That's flipped of how they actually happen in the text, but that's just how I see the episode going. So just roll with me. Um, At the end of the chapter, um, Paul and Barnabas get ready to go on another mission trip. They want to go back to all of the places that they visited before, which we talked about in the previous episode, and just kind of check in, see how they're doing, um, you know, give them encouragement, et cetera, et cetera. And Barnabas has this idea that he wants to take someone else with them. And Paul is like, no, I don't think he should go. And this becomes such a big deal that they end up splitting over this. So Paul says that, you know, Paul gives his rationale for why he doesn't think that the person Barnabas has chosen should go. And Barnabas clearly disagrees with him. So they end up parting ways. Barnabas takes his guy and he goes where he's going. Paul selects the guy that he thinks should go and he goes his way. And it's really interesting because... In general I think when we talk about forgiveness we talk about you know disagreements we always talk about forgiveness and reconciliation and there's this idea that at the end we're supposed to agree or that we're supposed to you know continue in the same exact path that we were going in before we had the disagreement but this shows that that's not what happened Um, Barnabas didn't back down from his decision for better or for worse, and Paul didn't back down from his decision for better or for worse. Now I assume that they did not harbor ill feelings towards each other after this, Um, personally I still need to do more studying to see what the aftermath of this situation was between the two of them. But based on other passages in the Bible, we're not supposed to hold things against each other. But clearly, they both felt strongly enough about their side or their version of truth that they decided to stick to it. And instead of, you know, Barnabas forcing Paul to take the guy that that he had selected, or Paul forcing Barnabas to take another guy, they just went their separate ways. Um, this is like a literal, you know, agree to disagree example, I guess. And I think it's interesting um, because, like I said, we, we don't tend to talk about reconciliation or disagreements in a, a manner where this is the outcome. I, I feel like most of the time when I envision reconciliation in my mind or when I've had discussions with it, this would have ended with them still going on the journey together. The fact that they didn't go together means that they never reconciled their differences of opinions and this chapter shows us that that's okay it's okay if we don't agree all the time it's just how we handle that and how we talk to each other about it and the fact that we don't hold that over each other's head like oh well you didn't agree with me so i can't work with you because we all know people like that like if you don't do things their way, they don't like you anymore. But we as Christians are not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to understand that sometimes we just have to do things differently and that's okay. And that's what these two ended up doing. So remember that as you go into your uh, daily walk and as you're trying to plan mission events and, and things like that, ministries, remember it. sometimes you do have to do separate things separate ways and that's okay. Now, other times the argument is way bigger than one or two people, and you know, who should we take with us on this trip? And that's what we see at the beginning of Acts. So, at the beginning of Acts, um, chapter 15 to be specific, we see an issue of doctrine. And this follows kind of the same format that we saw previously. When they decided to let the Gentiles become part of the Christian movement. At the beginning of chapter 15, there are people who are saying that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas and all those who've been preaching to the Gentiles, they've been converting them without circumcision. And they're like, no, that's not right. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. This is a salvation issue, okay? This isn't, you know, should we paint the wall green or yellow? Should we collect funds for, you know, a new building? Or should we pay for little Johnny's operation? Like, this is not, um, you know, a preference type of a thing. This is salvation. This is life. Eternal life versus not eternal life, right? So... They had to have a position that was clear. They, there could not be some sort of gray area. Like They needed to come to a consensus and be like, this is what we believe on this topic. So they called together a council. If you read scholarly material, they often refer to this as the Jerusalem council because they went to Jerusalem. The elders, the um, apostles, they all gathered there to discuss this matter and to come to a consensus. And after the First Century Church, um, there were several other councils that have significantly shaped how Christianity is today. And we're gonna go into those in the next couple of episodes. Um, But for now, I wanna stick to this particular council and what happened this time. So when they get together, each side presents their ideas or their point of view. And so you have the people who are saying that they have to follow the law of Moses, they have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And then you have the other side saying God has already proven that that's not the case. The major argument for this side is that, you know, God gave the dream to Peter in Acts chapter 10. He told Peter that the Gentiles were to be included. Peter went and God gave the man the Holy Spirit. He wasn't circumcised and he still got the Holy Spirit. So clearly this is of God. And Paul and Barnabas testify of all the miracles that have been done with the Gentiles and what has been transpiring. And their conclusion is that, you know, Clearly, God is still working in the Gentiles, even though they are not circumcised, which means that it doesn't matter. Like they don't need to be circumcised. And so in the end, they all decide that there is no need for circumcision in the process of being converted. Now, there is a lot to unpack in what actually comes out of Acts chapter 15. I'm also doing a blog post that I think will go into more detail about some of the questions that, at least I know I had questions when I first read Acts 15. But, um, you know, it it's interesting that they, it, it seems like they came to such an easy conclusion, right? We all just agreed upon this. Um, but I'm pretty sure they spent some time going back and forth. I highly doubt it was just, you know, these people got up and said, I think this, 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 and this. And then, you know, Peter and Paul and James got up and were like, no, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh yeah, I see it that way. Arguments don't go like that normally. We know this. But in the end, they were able to come to a conclusion and that is what they stood on as a church. And that is the important thing that you come to a conclusion as a church and that you push forward as a united body. So after the first century church, as time moved on and things started to change and Constantine claimed to be converted, we'll, we'll get into the deeper history of this in another episode, but basically as time moved forward and the Catholic church took over, and basically stole Christianity from the original church, um, they started having these councils again where they would come together and they would have their bishops or whoever and they would come together and make decisions about doctrine and what they were establishing the church's principles to be. And this is where you get things like the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed comes from the Council of Nicaea, which was one of the first councils to be held um, after you know, the biblical times. It was held in the 300 something, like 325 or something like that AD. It was well removed from what we have in biblical text. But these are things that fundamentally shaped what we see today in mainstream Christianity. And so I really wanna get into some of the history of those things Um, as we go forward in this season. But I wanted to mention it here just so you could see how it ties in with the biblical principle of coming together to shape those ideas and handling differences in doctrine by coming together like this. Now, we know by the fact that there are so many different denominations that these councils did not work like this all the time. Um, I think... That a key in what happens in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is always present. And the Holy Spirit is the one telling them, yes, this is okay. No, that's not okay. Go this way. Go that way. Agree with this person. Disagree with that person. Um, I don't think that that was the case in many a room (laughs) post the first century Um, and in present day, I mean, I can even say, honestly, I've had arguments with people where I can tell you at the end of it, I was like, wow, I was speaking completely as Sheree. The Holy Spirit was not in me. My idea was completely off base, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so that is a problem that we run the risk of. If we don't understand how these councils worked and how they're supposed to work, and how they function in setting the foundation of the church. So I definitely wanted to bring that up so that as we keep going forward and as we get into more like history um, that you'll see how this lines up with why we went through the Book of Acts in the first place. Now, what they actually decided at the Jerusalem Council is very interesting and it's hotly debated Um amongst Christians, and that is, again, like I said, why we have so many dom- denominations. Um, basically, what they say in plain English is that um, they do not require the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be converted, and they say that they, the, there are only four things that they want to put onto the Gentiles, and that is that they abstain from meats offered to idols, from things strangled, from blood, and from sexual immorality. A lot of people have read these verses and their conclusion is that is all that is required um, of Gentile converts and they think that it completely abolishes the law of Moses. And it's interesting because if you read it at face value, it seems to be saying that, but then you start to have questions right because if if they were really saying we're getting rid of the law of Moses all you have to worry about are these things why didn't they mention murder theft and things like that and you know some people try to put in some sort of separation where they claim that there's the law of God and then there's the law of Moses and that these are different things but the law of Moses is generally refers to the entire torah. So that's the entire first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All five of those books are referred to as the law of Moses. And they don't separate it out and say, "Okay, the 10 commandments are separate than the, you know, the other laws or whatever." In fact, even as you go through If you read the text straight out, there's actually no delineation outside of headers that we have put in in modern day that separate the Ten Commandments from the other commandments that Moses gives. So it's very hard to separate those things out. And if you read other writings by Paul, um, you hear him say things like, You know, the kingdom of God is not given to idolaters, adulterers, um, fornicators, uh, the greedy, something. there I'll put the exact verse in the show notes, but there's a whole list of things, many of which refer to commandments that are given that are not included in this list of four things. And so you have to stop and wonder what exactly happened what what did they agree what was the question what was happening so one of the things that you really have to do is put it into context first and foremost they're talking about a specific group of people that have been converted and what they need to tell them what they need to emphasize and when you go to somebody new who is who's just first hearing the word of god there are things in their past life that cause them to stumble. And if we're being honest, anybody that you come up to is probably, hopefully, not struggling with the temptation of killing people or stealing from people. I think no matter what religion you are part of, no matter whether you have a religion at all, most people will agree that murder, theft, lying, certain things, they're all gonna agree that these things are wrong. They're universally wrong. Um, And so the Gentiles weren't struggling with those particular issues. I think the four issues that are brought out are issues that would have been specific to the Gentile converts, right? So they were previously part of these pagan religions and those pagan religions sacrificed meats to idols so they're saying don't do that don't continue to do that don't take part in that right um they used to drink blood or offer up blood for these same idols that was part of some of their rituals and their traditions and of course all the way back in genesis before god even established the nation of israel he told mankind not to drink blood and not to consume blood so they're saying you know don't do that right then you had um the issue of things being strangled so in kosher law you're supposed to kill the animal if you find an animal that's already dead you should not eat it and there's scientific evidence to back that up in modern day um you're like you know if you're just driving down the road and you see a deer that's laying on the side of the road and he's dead you don't know why he's dead you should not eat that deer (laughs) um and so That's something that they, you know, struggled with because they did not grow up with this law of like you you should kill the animal yourself. Um, I I'm not really sure if that had anything to do with idolatry and like um, how they worshipped. It may have been how they were killing the animals in this idol worship um, because there was a specific way that they were supposed to slit the throats of the animals to offer them to God versus how they would have been doing this in the temple of Zeus or something like that. And then the final thing being sexual immorality, um, a lot of the Greek and Roman um, gods were, you know, involved in kind of these like sex cult type things. like they they had, you know, orgies and whatnot to worship those pagan deities. And so a lot of those types of things, probably seemed normal to the converts and it was important that they expressed to them that though like you need to put that behind you. And so a lot of what is brought out are things again like I said that they would struggle with that somebody who grew up in Judaism would not be struggling with because they were already living in accordance to this. And what's interesting is um as they conclude this discussion and come to the, to the decision, um, somebody actually mentions that the law of Moses is taught every Sabbath. And it seems like they're saying they have access to that. We don't need to tell them about that. We don't need to, to push that towards them. That's something that they can learn and that they can um, grow into because um, otherwise you would have been like, the law is preached every Sabbath, let's tell them not to go listen to that. Why would you need to listen to the law being preached if you don't need to keep it, right? So like I said, it's a very confusing passage if you don't have the right context, if you don't know how it fits in with other texts that the early church leaders wrote, and it can be very misleading. But I think one of the things to really focus in on is that in the very first verse of the chapter, it talks about what is being done to be saved. And um, one of the things that we miss in all of our conversations about salvation, talking about works versus grace, grace and works, grace only, works only, and all of these other philosophies and ideas, is that um, when you are saved by grace, it does not mean that you can go break the law. It doesn't mean, oh, I, I, I am saved by grace. I believe now I can live my life however I want to. I can go out and kill people. I can go out and um, you know, cheat on my spouse. I can go out and steal. I can do whatever I want to because I'm saved by grace. That's not what that means. What it means is when you are saved by grace, when you surrender your heart to God and you truly believe, it means that you ask the Holy Spirit to come into you. It means that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to dictate your actions. The character of God does not change. What God finds to be morally apprehensive um, or morally irresponsible is the same. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. God's character didn't change. So what happens is when you invite the Holy Spirit to drive your life, the Holy Spirit will get rid of these other things. And I've seen this in my own personal life where you know, from the time that I actually handed over the keys and was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to let you drive up until now, there are things that I used to enjoy that I do not enjoy now. It wasn't an instantaneous thing. It wasn't something that flipped overnight. There are some things that I struggle with. There are things that I used to enjoy that I understand to be wrong now, but I still have some temptation to go back to those things, etc, um, etc. Et but the thing is, you have to get to a particular point to be able to lay down at, basically to pick up your cross. You have to get to a certain point to be able to say, here I am, I believe in you, you know, take me and, and clean me and do whatever you want. And I think what was being decided at this council is, what do you need to get to that point? And to get to that point, you, they didn't need to be circumcised. They did not need to be, you know, diehard advocates of the law of Moses because the Holy Spirit will convict you about what parts of that are still applicable, which parts are not. The Holy Spirit will, um, you know, bring that into you. And as they said at the end, it's being preached. So we don't need to go into a lot of detail. Once the Holy Spirit leads them to the sermons, once it leads them to the synagogue, they will start to pick up these things by letting the Holy Spirit lead. What we need to do is get them away from the things that are gonna distract them from the Holy Spirit. Because we can't, you can't serve two masters. So if you're doing things that are idolatrous, then you have trouble. If you're polluting your body, polluting the temple, you're gonna have trouble letting the Holy Spirit in. Because the Holy Spirit's not, like the, you know the Holy Spirit is only going to deal with so much. Right, you can't be pushing the Holy Spirit away and expect the Holy Spirit to lead, and that's why they're pushing out these things like um, sexual immorality and um, you know worshiping false gods and things like that. So if you're doing that, clearly you haven't surrendered to the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. And so I just wanted to kind of add some clarity to what that verse is saying. Um, the Bible, Bible verse. The the Bible verses will be on the uh, blog post, that's what I was trying to say, is blog post. The blog post will be on the website um, and it will have more in-depth information, Um, at least I'll try to put more in-depth information in it. Um, It'll probably come out on Thursday. Uh, So look for that if you're still a little confused and hopefully um, it will make more sense than what I said. So. That is our episode for today. Um, Just to summarize, we talked about what came out of the council, but we more importantly discussed how the council functioned, how that set up some of the things that impact our church today, and um, how reconciliation or handling disagreements does not have to mean that you agree or that you um, go back in the same direction that you were headed in previously so i hope this is helpful and um i will see you guys next week don't forget to like subscribe uh check out the blog www.salms2god.com. bye